What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amitelica TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Josh. Here's got a good show here for you on this Wednesday, July the 21st, the year 2021. Uh, of course, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks are your 2021 NBA champions. We will recap game six of the 2021 NBA Finals and uh, put the NBA uh, season, good, uh, say goodnight to the 2020-2021 NBA season. Give you my two cents on that, uh, on the YouTube Game of the Week, that historic broadcast in which my Orioles uh, failed to show up against the Tampa Bay Rays, but, but what else is new? As I go back and look on my phone, the Orioles ended up taking the lead. Uh, they had a 12-30 uh, day game earlier this afternoon here today, and uh, you know they had the lead, uh, Rays came back and tied it. Team, uh, they came back and they took the lead, uh, four to four to three, and then lo and behold, they uh, they stink, and then lo and behold, they stink, and their bullpen implodes on themselves yet again, and the Tampa Bay Rays uh, beat the Orioles by the final score of five to four, um, and I would imagine I didn't see it, but I would imagine it was uh, via a walk off, and if. It was then, uh, then uh, when it rains, it pours. Uh, with my Baltimore Orioles, we will destroy them and Brandon Hyde later on in the program here this afternoon, um, but uh, or today or this morning or tonight or whatever time you're listening uh, to this show. Give you my two cents on why I think the Olympics should be canceled, um, which is just which is just. I mean, the fact that they're actually going to go through with it when cult when COVID is festering left and right in the city of Tokyo, I'll never understand. Um, but we got lots to do here on this program here on a Wednesday, and we will begin with Game Six of the 2021 NBA Finals between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Phoenix Suns. Bucks took care of business 105 to 98 to win their second championship in franchise history, their first in over in uh, not in over, but in 50 years since 1971. Uh Giannis Antetokounmpo uh walks away with the uh walks away with the uh the Bill Russell NBA Finals MVP award. We'll get to Milwaukee in a minute. But first off with Phoenix and I'll tie a bow on this in the, on this series and get series and get the Monty Williams going into the locker room and everything else. But first, if you are the Phoenix Suns, I mean, and no one's gonna and I wouldn't expect too many people to go this route because you know it's the Milwaukee Bucks, their first championship in fifty years, fifty year anniversary of them winning their first ever championship in the history of the franchise. Giannis goes off, and we'll give Giannis. And Budenholzer and Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, we will, Brooke Lopez, we'll give all of them their bouquets uh, in due time later in this segment. But I want to begin with the Phoenix Suns, who, don't get me wrong, they've had a phenomenal season, complete bounce back of, a, of the franchise that were one of the worst NBA teams a few short years ago, and a complete 180 they did as a team. Devin Booker, you know, who was on many of those bad uh, Phoenix Suns teams, a tremendous turnaround for him. Hell of a coaching job to Monty Williams. So this season is a success. You know, c- come once, once the lo- once the sting of this loss eventually goes away, and it will eventually go away. Once the sting of the sting of this loss eventually goes away, and when it does, this will be a phenomenal. 
and a successful season in retrospect for the Phoenix Suns. But as of right now, if you're a Phoenix Suns fan or anyone that wore a Phoenix Suns uniform the other night, this season, it's going to feel like this season was a failure simply based on the aspect that they had a 2-0 series lead. A 2-0 series lead and flushed it right down the freaking toilet. I mean, all this talk and the and it, and throughout the and from game three on, in the back of my mind, I ne- I never said it verbally when I was watching the games, and until right now, I've never said it on the show. But in the back of my mind, I was like, you know what? Maybe the Milwaukee Bucks took it personal with all the Suns and Four chatter from the fan base and. And the Phoenix fan cut counting down Giannis when he got to the free throw line, uh, you know when they, when the when the series games were in Phoenix and everything else, maybe they kind of took it to heart and took it personally. Say, hey, we'll show you, and we'll come out here and we'll beat you on your home floor, and sun and it's Suns in four or Suns in six, Suns in five, Suns in seven. How about Milwaukee in six? How about that? We we dropped the first two games of the series and we go ahead and we go on to win four straight. That was always in the that's been at, at the back of my mind essentially since the since the series was tied up in two games apiece. That's been in the back of my mind for the last week or so and for the last three four games of this series. That you know what what if Milwaukee took that Suns and Four stuff personally because and they deserved it because they've played well all postseason long. But the Suns fans, and it's, and I'm not blaming them for it, and they had every right to do so because they played absolutely out of this world, you know, the last two months up to, up until essentially game three of this series about a week or so ago. But the boy, were they cocky. Again, not faulting them for it. They were cocky. They were braggadocious. And they were happy and giddy as all can be about Suns and Four, and we're going to defeat the mountaintop, and who's Giannis, and who's the Milwaukee Bucks franchise, we'll show you. And lo and behold, you get a 2-0 series lead, and they collapse like a cheap tent and allow the Milwaukee Bucks to win two, to win four games in a row, sweep them in sweep them in the games played in the city of Milwaukee, and they lose. They lose the two... No, was it the two? Was it? It's it's two two one one one. So and then they come back and they lose, uh, the and they lose game five when the series returned to Phoenix. But if you're a Suns fan, you are absolutely sick to your stomach. The fact that you were two wins away, two wins away, two wins oh two wins eight quarters away. From your first ever NBA championship in franchise history, and just the and the fact that you and the fact that you had multiple bites at that apple to get a championship, including last night, and the fact that you couldn't get it done, you are absolutely you as a Suns fan, you had a hell of a season. And again, once uh, you know, once mid October rolls around and you're and you know, and everybody's back, and everyone resets at zero zero, and you know, and everyone, and there's no, and there's no champion yet. Once that once that reset button gets hit, come uh, you know, come October when the season when the when the twenty twenty one twenty twenty two season is about to tip off, 
that the pain that they're going to feel for the next few months or so is all going to be gone. It's all going to be uh, forgotten in a sense. But, you know, and and in retrospect, you look back on it, you're going to say to yourself, huh, the 2020-2021 Phoenix Suns team was a was a hell of a basketball team during that uh, 2020-2021 NBA season. But for the time being, in, in the here and now, they're going to look at this season as a failure because the chance was there to be had for them to t- for them to keep Milwaukee down while they were down with the 2-0 series lead something that they were something that they were able to do when they something that they were able to do when they went up against uh Denver you know when they swept them in four straight you know the the Clippers made them sweat a little bit but in the back of them, but in the back of your mind, you knew that with no Kawhi Leonard, the Clippers are only going to do with, but with, but so, but so much when, uh, when Phoenix, the majority of the postseason was clicking on all cylinders, and they had Milwaukee down for the count with a two zero series lead, and all they had to do was win the two games on the road at Milwaukee, and they and they failed to and they failed to do so. Not you know, and then you keep in mind you go back on Saturday because they didn't talk about the game that was played on Saturday night. You know, Devin Booker with a key opportunity to win the game, and he and he has and he hesitates to take the what would have been a game winning shot, and Drew Holiday snatches the ball right out of his arms, and Giannis goes up for the power slam, and next thing you know, this the uh, the Bucks take the take the series lead for the first for the first time in the series, go up three two on the way back to Milwaukee for Game Six and win their first championship in 50 years in front of their home crowd. So it's just, you know, Devin Booker, obviously, I mean, Devin Booker for all of his, for how great he was in this postseason, he, he showed up, he, he showed up small last night, 19, 19 point shots, 36% from the field, turned over the, turned over the basketball six times. That's not championship basketball trying to force a game seven uh, on the road to keep your championship hopes alive. You know, granted he did put up 82 combined points in games 4 and in games 4 and 5, game 3 their first loss of the series, which I think was the which looking back on it was I mean I, I understand hindsight 2020, but that was the coup de grace when he put up 10 points, couldn't shoot the ball off a boat into the ocean, uh and you know his his he couldn't shoot. Couldn't shoot made 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 the best of it and made up for it with back-to-back 40 plus point sparklers and then but then in the game six and again in a game that they needed him to perform when the lights were shining the brightest he played okay but he didn't but he didn't play his best he didn't play his best and then chris paul who i who if who if you want to go ahead and you and 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 pinpoint these the uh, the Suns collapse on you can pinpoint it on Chris Paul. Granted, like I said, Devin Booker did not play great in Game Three, and last night he was very very underwhelming and turned off the basketball nine million times. But you gotta pinpoint it on Chris Paul, who, like I've said all postseason long, is that, and it's the same story with Milwaukee with the with the conversation. With uh, Middleton and Giannis, you know we all know that Devin Booker's the best player on the Phoenix Suns. The question is, is 
Chris Paul, who is their MVP, their most important player on the basketball team, the man with the with the uh, with a dozen plus years of experience in the NBA. That's thirty six years of age. That's got that's got never NBA Finals experience. I grant you that, but has competed in many a postseason with many a different franchises. Is he? It, how's his his performance is going to determine whether or not he his team's going his team's going to win games, and you know he and. He had the shoulder. He had shoulder issues uh, in the opening series against the, the Lakers, in which they struggled. Anthony Davis goes down with the groin injury. He all of a sudden is able to find the fountain of youth. His shoulder is fine, and he and Devin Booker go off, and they take that series out of the jaws from the from the uh, from the Lakers in the opening round. Second round, he can do. Second round, he can do no wrong. Shoots uh, shoots uh, a career shoots a season high playoffs and regular season in the in games. I believe it was games. Three and four, if I'm not mistaken, against uh, against Phoenix, against uh, not Phoenix, against uh, Denver in the in the second round, they get Jokic all bent out of shape. Of course, he commits the flagrant. They get him kicked out of game four. They sweep. They sweep Denver. They he was a little spotty. He was a little spotty against. Uh, uh, against against the Clippers in a conference against the Clippers in the conference finals, five of nineteen from the field in Game Three, a little a little spot a little spotty, but but overall he got the job done with a forty one point uh, sparkler and a one thirty one oh three blowout in game in Game Six, but you know and then come NBA Finals time, you know I mean he performed great and get he performed great in Game One. And was I against in Game Two in their second and what two, and what turned out to be their last victory of this series? But from Game Three onward, he was very, very lackluster. You know, 19, 19 points, turn over the basketball four times in Game Three, not good enough. Ten points, shooting uh, 38 percent from the field, uh, turning over the basketball five times, not good enough. Uh, you know he shot he shot uh, decent from the field sixty uh, percent from the field and hit and hit all three of his three point attempts in game five and uh, scored twenty one points but you know when the, when they when there was an opportunity there in game five on Saturday night for him to put the team on his back and for him to put Phoenix out in front he couldn't he couldn't do so and then in game six shot fifty seven percent from the field again not terrible didn't uh, miss a lot didn't miss a lot of threes but from what I saw, but from what I saw on uh, on uh, last night, is that there were many of uh, there were that there were many basket opportunities that presented uh, that presented itself for in Chris Paul's perspective for him to go out there and you know to take any to take a, a mid range jump shot or to take an easy layup and he and he and he passed up many opportunities and was just passing 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 left and right to all over the place to his teammates. And whether the fact he's injured, who knows, and will and will probably never know. But you know, there there were opportunity. He the case in point is that in a do or die game six, Chris Paul should have taken more than nineteen jump shots. He should have taken twenty. He should have taken twenty three, twenty four, twenty five. Because there were many opportunities in that game on a Wednesday night where Chris Paul had the ball in his hands with a prime opportunity for him to put the ball in the basket, and he failed to do so. And you know, twenty twenty six point twenty six points. I mean, he didn't play terrible, but it wasn't good enough. He needed to put his team 
on his back when Devin Booker didn't play his best, put his, put his team on his back, and and take him home and get him to a game seven. And he failed to do so. So if you want to pinpoint, if you want to pinpoint th- this uh, this uh, collapse, and it was a collapse. I mean, Giannis played well. Don't get me wrong. We'll get to him in a minute. But if you want to pinpoint any collapse on the part of Phoenix, you put it on Chris Paul, and and you put and you put a little bit. Not a whole lot, because he did have two remarkable back-to-back games where he put up 40-plus points. A little bit on Booker as well. And also, and if you um, if you paid any attention, that it's easy to see that they, you know, that Giannis and, and that Giannis and the Bucks were, were bigger than, than the Suns were. Suns are going small, shooting the jump shots, and the Bucks were and the Bucks big men dominated the game. And you and and it showed once Sharich went out, uh, their big man who uh, who who kept Milwaukee in check throughout the first few games of the series. You, it was it was easy easy to tell that they missed him badly when he had that season and when he had that season ending injury early on in the series. They missed Sharich out there uh, out there on the court throughout the throughout the uh, rest of this series. You know, but you know, Chris Paul should have played better. Uh, Jake Crowder should have should have uh, definitely shot better. He shot, you know, he was he was very well and he shot very well in Game Three. Uh, I in Game Five, Game Six, Game Four. You know, nowhere to be found. So and Jay Crowder's incon- inconsistency shooting the basketball and the fact that they just could not keep up with and hang with Gian- hang with Giannis and hang with the Bucks who dominated the paint for all four games of the game, all four of the games that they ended up winning in the 2021 uh NBA Finals and Monty and Monty Williams who again put on a coaching clinic clinic the, clinic the majority of the postseason Monty Williams Got to take a little, and I like him, and he's a hell of a guy and a hell of a coach, and he's done a fantastic job. But he's got to take some heat on the fact that that the Suns now wasn't like that they were that they were up three zero and they blew it. They were up two zero and they blew it. But Monty Williams has to take accountability. Like, hey, I understand that you know whatever's wrong with Chris Paul, age, whatever the whatever it is, you know he had that costly turnover a few games ago. I understand that. And and the blame as a 16-year vet has to fall on him, you know, has to fall on him, you know, as a guy that, you know, that was that was held up to, like, one of the greatest, one of the game's all-time greatest point guards, which clearly is not going to be the case, but it's going to be held as the game's all-time greatest point guards. And Chris Paul this, Chris Paul that comes out small. I get that. But if you're Monty Williams, you cannot, under any circumstances, allow your team, when you're up two games to none, you know, go four games in a row and not win a game. You know, if if they beat, if they beat you, if they beat you, uh, if they beat you in seven, you'll live. If they if you win a game in between if you lose a series but you somehow take a game and and, and steal a game in between these uh, these uh, last four games you you'll understand it but the fact that your team you know uh, was just nowhere to be I understand that for the majority of the games that they were close and they and they uh, and they made Milwaukee earn that championship and they made them work you know especially in the and especially in games. Four, five, and six. I get that and I understand that, 
But Lord have mercy, Monty. I mean, you cannot in any circumstances get this far, get a 2-0 series lead in the NBA Finals and flush it right down the toilet because they collapsed. If They collapsed. Let's just call it like we see it. The Phoenix Suns collapsed. You want to blame Paul? Fine. You want to blame Booker? A little bit unfair, but it wasn't like that he was magnificent in all four of uh, in all four of Phoenix's losses. He was great. He was great in 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 uh, in losses games three in games uh what four and in, in games four and f- uh, in games four and five game six he stunk. Uh, in games in game three he wasn't in ga- game three he stunk in game six he wasn't phenomenal and in games and in games four and five he was absolutely sensational you want to blame Williams you want to blame Crowder's inconsistency shooting the basketball you want to blame the fact that they basically couldn't keep up with the Bucks and and provided no dominant force within the paint and attacking the rim and getting out rebounded by the bushel by uh by uh by uh, Milwaukee I understand that too but the chances were there for Phoenix to win this series and they and they straight up up and they straight up and down couldn't capitalize on it they could they they straight up could not capitalize on it and you know it's a shame and again you know once once October comes and they're getting ready to play their first game and they're getting ready to play their first game uh, they're ready to play their first game uh, of the two of the new season. You know this will not all be forgotten, but in retrospect, you'll say, "Ah, guys, you know what? Where we won the Western Conference, first NBA uh, Finals appearance this franchise has seen in quite a while. We had a hell of a season. Not too long ago, we were one of the worst teams of the sport. Our season last year, you know, it, it, all things being considered, it was a success." But as of right now, and for the rest of the month of July, and all throughout August, and even September, once they uh, break into training camp to start the new season, they're going to look at this season as a failure because they had a 2-0 series lead and fell apart and collapsed and lost four straight games in a row when they had many a chance. Like I like I told you guys on Saturday, if they would have taken care of business in Milwaukee, they could have went back to Phoenix in Game 5 with an opportunity to win their first ever NBA championship in franchise history in front of their home court, and they failed to do so. And then Chris Paul, you know, who I praised and rightfully saw all throughout the postseason, got to take many hits. You know, he, he for, lack of a, for lack of better words and better phrases, he disappeared, all things being considered, was sensational against Denver, uh, rebounded in the in the in the latter games in the opening round against uh, against the Lakers. Had a phenomenal performance uh, in the closeout game against the Clippers and perform and performed very well in the Western Conference Finals against his old team. And then he gets to the NBA Finals, plays well in game uh, one, plays well in game one, plays a right in game two, and then and disappeared in games three, four, five, and six. And then, and he becomes the first player in the history of the NBA to blow a two o ser- to blow a two o series lead in a best of seven series four different times. Uh, two o he blew a two o lead with the Sp- uh, against the Spurs in two thousand eight in the uh, in the semi in the Western Conference semifinals. Blew a two o series lead to the Grizzlies in two thousand thirteen in the opening round. Blew a two o series lead to the Blazers in the first round in two thousand sixteen, and then blew a two o series to the Bucks in the finals. 
and Chris Paul, who is considered up to be, who is up there and has been throughout this entire postseason that he's had this summer, up there with one of the game's all-time greats at the point guard position. I don't want to hear that no more after this because this because this is just, this is unforgivable. I'm sorry. It, 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 I mean, it, you can't have this, guys. You can't have it. I understand your season's going to, and I understand it stings, but oh, you can't have it. Can't have it. Cannot have it. And Chris Paul, all-time great, immortal. I don't want to hear that no more. I'm sorry, and I've been and I've been waving the the CP3 pom poms, you know, since since late May, since late May. We're now in mid mid to late July. Been waving the, the CP3 pom poms for for nearly two months, but I but you got to be fair. He he showed up small, showed up small in these last four games. Played excellent in game one, I in game two, and games three, four, and five. What was was not a dominant uh, force enough to bring his team home in games three through six. Got to be honest and you got to be fair. Suns had a hell of a hell of a season, but God Almighty, did they collapse? They collapsed. We will sing Giannis and the Bucks praises next. Did the Phoenix side take a break? Do the Bucks back in the flash? I'm Intelligent TIS Podcast. Welcome back to the Amatel Like a TIS podcast. Switching gears, not switching gears, but let's uh, do the Milwaukee Bucks now, who, of course, they champion. They uh, win the 2021 NBA championship, um, first championship in uh, 50 years. Uh, before I break down the game and Giannis and stars of the game and everything else, first off, let me. Just giving them them flaps. I understand people are going to be like, well, uh, people are going to be like, well, you know, if if uh, if Katie's toe wasn't on the line at the when he hit that, uh, what would have been the game-winning basket uh, in Game Seven in the in the se- in the second round against the uh, Brooklyn, and it's a very fair argument. If Katie's toe is not on that three-point line which makes it a very long two instead of a game-winning three in game seven. You know, who know the NBA landscape is forever changed. Uh, it's, for, it's changed forever. So I, and it's going to be like one of those, what if I told you those cool like future 30 for 30s or those, or that classic sports what if, you know, what if his foot. So I, I, I that, so that, uh, so that I understand. I understand people making that point. And that's now you shouldn't make it to minimize what the Bucks have done and what Giannis has done. But I do understand that if Giannis, if Katie's foot isn't on the line at the gun in in the fourth quarter of Game Seven and Second Round, the Bucks 
probably well not probably the bucks aren't here so that i so that i get and that i understand I, now it now it's not now it shouldn't it's not in spite of but it's something it's something that if you're a bucks fan if you're a basketball fan you, and you watch that replay now that the dust is settled you laugh and you chuckle to yourself like huh, if his if his if his foot was behind if his foot was behind the line by an inch the the bucks the bucks don't even make the nba finals which i get that and it's something you know that you can, that's fair that you can chuckle at but at the but at the same time you know they did they did a phenomenal job um, and I understand that the that the that the Nets had injuries and Kyrie Irving Kyrie Irving with the hurt ankle and James Harden wasn't a hundred percent with the hamstring and everything else and I and I get that I totally understand all that but still they they had a phenomenal job and it wasn't like that they were a fluky team you know the the Bucks have been to the postseason time in and time out have gotten number one seed year in and year out and. And you know, so it wasn't like that. It wasn't like their entire season was a fluke. They've gotten to the playoffs many a times, and many a times as the best seed and and as the best team regular season record wise in the Eastern Conference, and have failed to del- and have failed to deliver the goods based on their playoff shortcomings. But but still, they they deserved it. They absolutely deserved it. And if you're and if you are an NBA fan that uh and if you're an NBA fan that loves to watch that old school type of basketball where the bit where the big man dominates with uh by dominating inside the paint, rebounding the basketball, blocks, you know, playing defense the old school, old fashioned Shaquille O'Neal sort of way, then and then how can you not love the run how A, how can you not love the series? Because because I because I have not seen a team you know and they make their threes don't get me wrong but I have not seen a team that loves that loves to uh, and and is and was great at the at the mid range jump shot as great as the Phoenix Suns were throughout their entire playoff run so if you love old school basketball this was the finals for you whether it's how the Suns dominate the mid range game or the Bucks and how they shot. Uh, how they shot the ball mid-range themselves with Middleton and everybody else, and how they dominated the dominated the paint, crashed the glass, rebounded like crazy, dominated the rim with with uh, with e- with easy two-hand slams, layups, whole nine yards. This was if you love the old school basketball, the nineties, eighties, seventies. This was the NBA Finals for you. And if you love that old school brand of basketball where we're not going to, you know, shoot you out, shoot you out of the arena, to, uh, hoisting up and making 9 million threes, <clears throat> the Golden State Warriors, then the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis Antetokounmpo was the series and the player for you to root for and for you to love. Because you know, they earned it, you know. And Budenholzer, who was criticized many a time in which they choked uh, in the second round in that game against uh, the Brooklyn Nets, and I came on here and, and slammed them and destroyed them, and rightfully so because they were horrendous that night against the Brooklyn Nets. But the thing that you got to give Budenholzer and give the net and give the Bucks credit for is that they did not let that define them. They did not let uh, the fact that they did not let the they did not let the fact that that uh, they did not let them going down 2-0 against Phoenix define them they did not let their shortcomings and their bad and their bad performances and their choke jobs and the nights when when uh when when 
Chris Middleton stunk, and they as and they as a collective unit were ran out of the arena night in night out. They did not let that. They when uh, when Trey Young went nuts on them in the conference final. They did not let those moments define them. They used it as a learning tool and as a teachable moment to make themselves better as a basketball team. And you got to give Budenholzer credit, who's been criticized all throughout the last uh, all throughout the last month or so in the playoffs. And and rightfully so, but you got to give him his due and a phenomenal job that he did uh, le- leading his team's comeback from down 2-0 in the NBA Finals and allowing them to come back, bring themselves up from the dead, dust themselves off and say, hey, we got this. We can win four games in a row and win our first title in 50 years if we just put our minds to it. And that's they did, and you give them all the credit in the world. You also give, and this is just a little something I picked up during the game, when Budenholzer called that timeout, I believe with 23 seconds up before the end of the game, you know, when the arena and the Deer District, the 60-plus thousand people out there, the Deer District in Milwaukee went nuts, you know, and 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 you knew that they and you knew that the game was 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 going to be Milwaukee's, and that the fans could taste it. You gotta love, and this is very Belichickian of Budenholzer. He calls a timeout. He get he immediately goes to his whiteboard and his uh and his giant erase marker, and he's cool, calm, collected. Like, hey, we still got twenty three more seconds left of this before it's a, literally the entire city of Milwaukee, if not the entire state of, of Wisconsin, is about to freaking explode with their first NBA championship in a half a century, and Budenholzer is cool, calm, collected, notes to the grindstone, head downs, like, hey, th- we still have 23 seconds left before the job is finished. That reminded me so much of Belichick, because Belichick, it, Belichick is the coach that literally does not celebrate literally does not crack a smile until the clock is literally at triple zeros and the game is finito, is finished. You know, everyone, everyone, everyone around Belichick can be going crazy. He is, he, you know, he, it's like that last, it's like he did in the last dance where, where, uh, where the, I forget the player in the Bulls who made that, I think it was Jordan, hit that, uh, hit that jump shot with uh no it wasn't Jordan it was someone it was someone on the Pacers that hit that hit a game winning that ended up being a game winning jump shot and left seven tenths of a second it was some some crazy amount of time left on the clock it was less than a second left on the clock the arena in Indianapolis goes nuts and and there's a and there's a famous meme and it's a shot of Larry Bird, who's who's the coach of the Pacers at that time. The the look on his face saying to himself, "Yeah, but there's still enough time left on the clock for." And they got Michael Jordan on their team for them to get a for them to pull something out of their behind, and for them to end up st- and for them to somehow some way steal this game from us if we're not careful and focused. The arena erupts in complete. Uh, in complete joy and out of complete excitement, and Larry Bird standing there on the sidelines saying to himself, "Yeah, they, yeah, they still got my, they got Michael Jordan on their team, and there's still enough time left for them to get a get for them to get a last second shot off." That's that is that's how, that is what went through my mind when Budenholzer called a timeout with 23 seconds left. But that's not a hidden one there. Um, and you also and the last thing, and then I'll break down uh, Milwaukee's performance and 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 uh, throw the bouquets to Giannis Antetokounmpo. But how about Monty Williams, 
who went over who went over to the uh, who went over to the Bucks locker room, interrupting their celebration to congratulate them and to say that you made me a better man, made me a better coach, and you made us a better team. Congratulations on being the 2021 NBA champions. I'm gonna tell y'all something right now. And I'm not trying, and I'm no saint by any any stretch of the imagination. And I do hope, Lord willing, that I will make it into heaven when I shall perish from, and, and my time on this earth comes to an end. But I'm going to tell you right now, I could never, ever, and I'm not trying to make myself out to be Brady or Jordan when it comes to being a competitive, win at all costs types of champion and winner. But I could, but I, but everybody who loves sports has has it has a competitive bone in their body at whatever it might be. It may not be at sports, but there's always there's if you love sports in any sort of sense of capacity, you have a competitive bone in your body where something in you hates the feeling of of losing. And I could never, ever, ever in a hundred in a hundred, two hundred, five hundred, hundred thousand million zillion billion years ever ever do what monty williams did and that is go to the winning team's locker room in their city in their arena interrupt their celebration to congratulate them and to give them props at the at the end of an NBA at the end of an NBA Finals game in front of millions because there was cameras in a locker room in front of millions watching on television and in front of the entire t- in front of, not their entire team hell their entire organization their owner their GM their president their coach their head coach Boone Hoser, their assistant coaches Giannis the entire roster could their trainers could never, ever in a million years do what Monty Williams did. And that just speaks to the to the to the tremendous character that he as not just as a head coach, but he as a man and as an individual has. It it speaks to his character and it speaks to how great of a person that he is. Because I could never in a million years do what he just did. And even in some alternative universe, if I ever mustered up the courage and, and 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 the and the great character to do what he did the fact that and this is and a lot of people you know have uh you know have this this has not been a something that a lot of people have brought up on social media and when it's been brought up on tv and radio and in the newspaper you know if even in an alternative universe, if I were to do something like that or to do what Monty Williams did, I could never in a million years hold my emotions in check. I can never do that. If I am in Monty Williams' shoes and I start talking, by the time the first few words come out of my mouth, I get that lump in my throat. I I the cat gets my tongue. I can't speak and I start bawling. Seeing the winning team with the Larry O'Brien trophy, with the champagne out, the music blaring and everything and everything else, knowing that I all I had to do was win two games and that could have been me, I would have been crying like a baby. So the fact that he had enough courage and enough 
a good amount of good character go up there and congratulate them and hold it together knowing that not only am I doing it in front of the entire Milwaukee Bucks organization, but there's also a couple of TV cameras in here and this is going to go and this is going to this is on on live television and it's going to be shown all over the internet. Cuz even if and if in an alternative universe that I would be able to do something like that, I could never hold my emotions together to, I don't want to say keep a straight face, but to keep myself from breaking down and crying. Because it hurts. Young team that literally thought that the championship was there to have, they had a 2-0 series lead. And it was there for them to be had. And the fact that it was they were so close for the taking, but yet so far, I'd be crushed. I would be freaking crushed and again if it was me about two three words come out of my mouth and and i'm a, and i will cry like you like if you were to know me on a the most intimate personal level that you'd never see me cry like before be bawling bawling like a baby because i know if you're a diehard phoenix suns fan you're hurting but the ones that are even more emotionally invested in than the fans are as as coaches and as players who do this for a living, but ain't no amount of money is going to now it's gonna soften the blow over time, but at right then and at right then and there at that moment, no amount of money no ch- no check, no amount of money could at that moment in time last night could ease and and soothe the pain that every single one of those players of that Phoenix Suns organization went through on Wednesday night, and Monty Williams included. I could never do that in a million years. If I'm a coach, I lose the Super Bowl, or if I lose the World Series and lose the NBA, could never go to the winning team's locker room in their building and muster up the... And muster up the sportsmanship to wish them congratulations. Because even if I wasn't angry at the fact that we lost and had that and had that that and that, that that grouchiness about losing, I would be too emotionally hurt, devastated, sad, and depressed to go over there and congratulate them. Cause yeah, I might not be pissed at the point where I want to punch a hole in the wall, but, I, but I'd be crushed. And again, two words come out of my mouth. I'm being vulnerable with y'all right now. I'd break down in tears and start crying. And the fact that he went over there and did that and maintained composure doing so, class act by Monty Williams. Now, having said all that, now we'll get to the Milwaukee Bucks. What a phenomenal performance that Giannis Antetokounmpo put on. I mean, and I understand that I'm only 19 years old, and I can count on two hand on two hands about uh, the all-time great NBA Finals performances that I've seen in my lifetime. But you gotta be, but you gotta be honest. Giannis Antetokounmpo, and this is not me. This is not being prisoner of the moment. This is not recency bias. This is not a, this is not me exercising in hyperbole. Giannis Antetokounmpo put on the greatest. NBA Finals performances in a close in a in a championship clinching closeout game that you are ever going to see in your life, ever. 
the greatest NBA Finals performance that you are ever, ever going to see. 50 points, 16 to 25. He even made a freaking three-pointer. Was near perfect from the free throw. And, and it's nothing that me and everybody else have to raise our hands about. The worries with Giannis at the free throw line, at least when he's playing at home, those are no more. Those are no more. Was near perfect from the free throw line, 17 and 19. Grabbed 14 boards, 10 of them defensive rebounds. Two assists five, and five blocks. Five. Was a blocking machine. Machine in this series and dropped 50 points an all time NBA finals performance from Giannis Antetokounmpo i mean the great i mean that that's i mean and he joins he joins Michael Jordan and Hakeem Olajuwon, as the only players in the history of the NBA to win regular season MVP, NBA Finals MVP, and a, and a Defensive Player of the Year award. Think about that for a minute. LeBron doesn't have that. Kareem. Magic. And, the hit, and, he's, and to get the thing... He is only 26 years old. If Giannis keeps up on this path of championship big-time basketball, he could, and I'm not being president of the moment when I say this, he could end up wedging himself into the conversation as one of the top 15, top 10, best, greatest players to ever play the game. I'm saying, I mean, he is, he is putting himself into the category of Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Is he going to blow you out the water with, with his mid-range game and shooting threes? No, he doesn't have to. That is the sheer craziness and the uniqueness and the dominance of his game. He doesn't have to shoot a bunch of mid-range and a bunch of three-point jump shots to beat you. He doesn't have to do that. All he's got to do is just dominate the paint, rack up rebounds, play solid defense, make his free throws and get to the free throw line, and that's it. That is it. If he never has to shoot another three-point shot again in his career, he'll, he'll be fine. The, and 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 Shaq signed off on this, so I'm not speaking anything crazy. He honestly might become, if not already is, the next Shaquille O'Neal. It's the Shaquille O'Neal of the 2021's gener uh, of of this generation. He might he he might be the next Shaq. And you know how many rings Shaq has. Giannis is 26, just getting started. LeBron, Michael Jordan didn't have their rings at 26. He's at 26. He's got his first. Now, I understand they won't be favored to win the finals next year. But you'd be a fool not to think that 
they don't have a chance. I mean, he joins Bob Pettit with 50 points in Game 6 of the 58 Finals and Michael Jordan Game 6 of the 98 Finals with 45 as the most points scored in a series in the NBA Finals championship clinching game. That is unbelievable. And as a and then as the Bucks as a team, thirteen to win the finals in six at the falling behind 0-2. Four, they were undefeated, and this goes to a phenomenal job that Budenholzer has uh, done in the playoffs. Four and O record in closeout games in the playoffs. Overcome overcame a a two O series deficit for the second time in the postseason. Down two O to the next one, no problem. Picked themselves off, dusted them, picked themselves up, dusted themselves off, and ended up winning the series against all odds. I mean, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And again, I'll raise my hand. I did not think that he had what it took, and I didn't think that his game was going to was going to fit on how to win, and it was going to fit into that equation of 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 NBA championship winning basketball. I didn't think that. And over the last 50 years, the only two players to score 33 points and a half in NBA finals game, he and Michael Jordan. Not LeBron, not Magic, not uh not Kobe, uh-uh. Him and the GOAT. I mean, he keeps this up. Ain't no way. Ain't no way. He cannot be in a conversation of top 15, top 10 best players in the history of the sport. 12th, 12th game with 30 points and 10 plus rebounds. Tied with Elgin Baylor, second most in a single postseason. Shaq with 13 as more. I mean, he's putting himself into the conversation with the game's all-time greats. And he's only 26 years old. First player to record multiple 30-point halves in a, in a single NBA Finals over the last 40 years. Fourth highest, he shot 47% of the uh, of the Bucks points on Wednesday night or the Tuesday night. That's the fourth fourth highest in an NBA Finals game in the shot clock era. Only players with a higher percentage: the Goat and Elgin Baylor. I mean. First player with 40-plus 40, 40 points, 10 rebounds, and 5 blocks in any playoff game since Shaq in 20 years. And then you give credit to the Bucks front office. Giannis was the 15th pick of the draft. Chris Middleton played in the D-League. Not a single top 10 pick on their roster. Won a championship. Only team to do that, well, it hadn't been that long ago, the 2019 Toronto Raptors. And I will close this segment with this. There is a lesson here to any future athlete out there or just a lesson to be taught to someone who is obsessed with the super teams and players joining forces and dipping out on their franchise, on their original franchises, and dipping out on on their original cities that they play. There's a lesson to be learned in all of this. There is something to be had, and there is 
for lack of a better word, honor. And there's something to be admired. And there's always something good that comes out of being loyal. Especially in today's NBA, where it is so focused on, we've become so preoccupied in the NBA with rings that it's now come at a detriment. That players will do whatever it takes. They will backstab their teammates. They'll backstab their coaches. They'll backstab their bosses. They'll piss on their fan base and piss off their fan base. They'll act like an idiot. They'll be completely unprofessional in ways that if it was tried in regular 9 to 5 corporate America, 9 times out of 10 the average Joes, the average Joes, and average uh, an average an average uh, gal would get fired for the crap that they pull, all because they can take the easy way out, join forces with their buddies, and 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 win championships the quote unquote easy way, and expect Larry O'Brien trophy to be handed to them. There's something to be commended. By being loyal. Giannis had all the opportunities in the world. So you know what? I've tried to win in Milwaukee. I can't do it. It's not going to work out. I don't have the players around me. It's going to put me in the best position to win. The coach, I have my cup of tea. In Milwaukee, the winters are cold and miserable. It's a small town. It's not as attractive or sexy as Miami, Los Angeles. New York, Dallas, whatever. Could have he could have did all of that. Could have held out. Could have held the organization for hostage. Make him by forcing the franchise to trade him or to cut him. Could have pulled all of that crap, all of that unprofessional, low down, unbecoming. Infantile behavior. Could have did all of that. But he chose not to do that. He appreciated the fact that the Milwaukee Bucks franchise were the first team that gave him a chance to accomplish a lifelong dream of his that changed his life and his family's life forever. He cherished it. He cherished that. He appreciated it. He appreciated how the Milwaukee Bucks fans opened, 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 welcomed him to the city and to the franchise with open arms. They never betrayed him. They never kicked him to the curb. They never said, to hell with this guy. He stinks. He can't win in a big game. Can't make a free throw. His, his jump shots aren't the greatest. We won him out. Never did that. And the, and the, and the fans and the franchise in turn never, never betrayed him. And as the reward, they win an NBA championship. There is something, there, 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 it's, it's, loyalty is a virtue. God never wastes pain. And sometimes the hard way, doing things, not, not the hard, not the hard way because you make them hard, but there is there's there's that joy and there's that sense of accomplishment that comes with putting your nose to the grindstone 
and just going after it and seeking your goal and seeking after that prize day in and day out, year in and year out, night after night after night after going through the 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 guttiness and the grittiness that it takes to become a champion by doing it the traditional old school way, not ring chasing, not joining up and packing up creating super teams, just doing it the doing it the right way. The way it's supposed to be done. The way the all-time greats in Kobe in Magic, in in uh, in, in Bird, in Jordan, the way it's supposed to be, uh, Isaiah Tom, the way it's supposed to be, Kareem, the way it's supposed to be done, the way it's supposed to be done, the way the all-time greats back in the day, thirty and forty and fifty years ago, did it. There's something to be commended. For doing it the right way. Which may not always be the easy way. But you do about it. This, but you don't change. And you go about it anyway. Because it's the right. And in my estimate opinion. The moral thing to do. Notice how James Harden. Who created his little super team. With him. Westbrook. Chris Paul. And Houston. Pulled the crap he pulled at the beginning of the calendar year to get out of Houston. Gained weight, looked like a fat slob. Pissed on his teammates. Pissed on his his new head coach. Pissed on the Houston Rockets franchise, which opened him opened uh, which welcomed him with open arms from Oklahoma City. Gate treated him like a complete king, only for him to to collapse and to disappoint him. When it mattered the most in many a play in many a postseasons past, he pisses on the franchise, gets what he wants, shows up to the Nets, load manages like hell. What happens? He gets injured, barely is a factor in the second round to the uh, against the Bucks, and he, who did his, who tried his damnedest to force his way, as best he possibly could to win a championship. He has no rings. Giannis has one. There's something to be committed, and there's something to, and that's something to, that that needs to be admired, and something that needs to be respected, and something that needs to be honored for doing that. About being loyal, about not dipping out when when the times get tough, not not folding up underneath the pressure and to cave into the peer pressure and to cave in what everybody else all around you is doing. Joining, oh, I'll go play with this guy. This guy's this good. I'll join forces with them and 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 create a super team and win a championship that way. Because yeah, you win a championship, but it's nothing like, and it does not reach the satisfaction. And that and that's what that look was when Giannis got when Giannis finished hugging his family, and when he got all alone at the. At the east baseline, when he was on all fours, crying and weeping like like a kid, and when he got that moment, he was all to himself, sitting on the courtside seats behind the baseline on the on the east end of the court, 
with his hat on and dapping up fans that was coming to him, congratulating everything else. That and that picture that you saw with with his with his with his eyes welling up and him just looking and just taking a deep breath, just going. Phew. That was the ultimate feeling of satisfaction. The feeling of I've busted my hump and have many a sleepless nights, many a late nights in the gym, many of of times I couldn't sleep and the heartache and pain that I went through all all those years prior, whether it's getting embarrassed by Miami in the bubble, all of those years that I was the number one seed in the Eastern Conference and did not make it to even compete in the NBA Finals Four championship. And now that I had finally reached the pinnacle of my career and of the sport that I play in, that I do for a living, that fit, that ultimate feeling of satisfaction and that I did it the right way and did it the quote-unquote hard way by not dipping out on my city, by not dipping out on my organization, by not dipping out on my on my teammates and and my uh, and my friends and my buddies that I consider family to me the fact that I did it in the most honorable way possible it's that ultimate feeling of I it's the ultimate feeling of satisfaction and there is something to be commit and there's and there's a lot and there's a lot of honor and there's a lot of virtuous qualities in being loyal and if, they, if you took anything from Tuesday night, is that A, God never wastes pain, and B, there is always something to there's there's always something that is that 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 that's commendable and that's honorable about being loyal, whether it's being a loyal friend, being a loyal family member, being a loyal uh, employee, whatever it is, there is always something. Honor, honorable about being loyal, not loyal to a fault, but loyal because it because it's just the right thing to do. And Giannis's loyalty to the city of Milwaukee, to the Bucks organization, to his teammates, to Coach Boonholzer, to the Milwaukee Bucks fan base. After all of the heartbreaking pain that he went through in the previous years of his NBA career. It did not go to waste, and he finally reached the pinnacle of his profession, and that's being crowned and being named an NBA champion. He has his ring, but the thing that makes it more special is the fact that he did it when he was there with the Bucks through thick and thin, through good times and the bad, through the seasons where they were a league laughing stock to the seasons that they were projected to win championships, number one seed in the Eastern Conference, all for them to fall apart come playoff time, and they did it the right way. And all of their hard work and all of their suffering finally came to fruition, and they won an NBA championship. The James Hardens of the world that act that act that acted like that acted like a complete child getting getting out by the way they how they got out of Houston. It's no coincidence why Harden sitting at home with no rings and why he and why he was crippled in the second round against Milwaukee and why he has no rings and why Giannis has one. 
and why Giannis has a better chance of being an all-time great at what he does than James Harden in, in his old situation. And not to mention, I don't have the quote in front of me, but that quote when Harden was questioning how essentially questioning how good of a basketball Giannis, Giannis is and Giannis was and essentially questioning and, and, and questioning his, his place in the NBA. Well, Harden's got no rings. Giannis has one. And I will say this and then we'll take a break and get on to my pathetic Orioles. The, I don't care what anybody says. This ring outweighs the rings that Kevin Durant won in Golden State. It does. Took the easy way out, joined the team that came back from down 3-1 in the conference final to 2016, joined a team that won 72-73 games that didn't need him, took the easy way out to go ring chasing and make a super team, and won his little rings with Golden State. Serves Durant right that he's sitting home too. Giannis's one ring outweighs the outweighs the whatever rings that KD had with go or excuse me what KD won in Golden State, and that's the bottom line. Congratulations to the Milwaukee Bucks. You guys deserve it. Hats off to Giannis. Back after this. Giannis was outstanding in this series, and especially outstanding on Tuesday. I tell you, and one quick, quick little tip before I get to the baseball. Um, a, it sucks that the NBA season is over. You know, you would have liked to have a game seven, so you, so you, the season extends two extra extends two extra days, and and you get one more game uh, left out of the season because now it's now all you got is essentially Major League Baseball and not everybody's a Major League Baseball fan and you still got 50 days until the football season kicks off. So uh, so that's one thing. And two, you know, it's just, and I play that music coming out of the break because it's like all playoff long, especially if you watch the game, if you've seen the playoff games and the NBA Finals games, it's on ESPN at ABC, their favorite song when they whenever they whenever they show a highlight when they're ready to go to break their favorite song to play when they go to break is outstanding by the gap band it's a hell of a song but uh, but that song that song 
that song, uh, that song Stomp that you hear me play sometimes out of the break. And even uh, the, the first break of the show, uh, the uh, let's get down, let's get down to business. Like that, those three songs have been, just been on a loop in my head for the last about two months because they because they play that song on repeat when they go to break every single time. So when an ESP, I, you like the TNT NBA broadcast over the ESPN one. But one of the things I love about ES, one of the things I love about the ESPN broadcast when do the NBA is that whoever's their DJ when they when they got to play the bumper music when they go to the break whether it's a timeout TV or a coach's time they or at the end of a quarter they love. That they love the they love to play the, those hit those hit songs which I which I which I love but uh, as we kiss the NBA season tonight and hopefully I have some stuff to talk about um, uh, come Saturday show because the NBA you know it, you know if 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 you would if you would have had a game seven I would have gotten one more extra show out of the NBA finals on Saturday but since you don't. Uh, this will be the coup de grace of uh, NBA talk unless uh, some uh, big uh, free agency uh, stuff goes down between now and uh, at least the football season in which you'll have a little bit more uh, stuff, more games to break down and talk about. And I'd much rather talk about, the, talk about and recap games and talk about, you know, barbershop talk and chit and meaningless chit chat and everything else. I care about I care about what goes on during the games. I love coming on here. In case you haven't noticed, I love coming on here and recapping and giving my two cents on game stuff instead of off the field transactional stuff around the around the sports world. But anyway, it's not you know there. Um, but you had MLB. Uh, on t- on a Tuesday night, they had history. You had your first all women uh, broadcast team uh, in the history uh, of the sport. Obviously, it's happened in hockey, NHL, uh, uh, NHL. Yes, it's happened in there. NFL uh, with uh, Andrea Kramer and um, Hannah Storm uh, with the uh, with the Amazon Prime Video feed for Thursday Night Football. Baseball is the first ever time he had all women. The play by play, the play by play guy. The color commentator, and then of course the uh, if you have them, the sideline reporter, uh, provide uh, all of them being uh, of the same gender, and that is uh, of the uh, of the uh, of the female sex. Um, uh, you had um, matter of fact, I should get the names. Uh, I should get the names out for you. Um, you had uh, you had um, Melanie Newman, Melanie Newman, excuse me, who. Who of course, uh, who of course, well, not of course, but if you're an Orioles fan, this is no, is this is an of course, who's uh, who does the sideline work, who does sideline work for Masson for my Baltimore Orioles, and also, uh, and also does play by play for the or for uh, for the Orioles on on the uh, on radio, uh, for the Orioles radio network in here in Baltimore, the flagship station, Baltimore Sports Talk Radio 105.7, the fan. Um, she had also done play-by-play for uh, or for TV for another baseball game season. I think it was. I'm not. I could. I should also go back and look at look. Uh, find it too. I think she also did for another MLB for another MLB YouTube game. Um, between I think it was the A's and the Rangers. I could go back. Um. 
could go back and look. Yes, A's and the Rangers, that was on June the 22nd. So it wasn't her first rodeo, but it's the first rodeo as far as making history. Oh, not a first rodeo making history either. Um, but she, she she was doing a play-by-play. Sarah Lang, who I got to be honest, who I've never heard of prior to last night. She did the she did the color commentary. Um, she uh, I guess works for the league in some capacity, and really not familiar with her. Alana Rizzo, of course, who's the former sideline reporter for the Dodgers for Spectrum Sports and out there in L.A. She, of course, is my uh, is uh, is the co-host and is uh, the compadre of my main man Christopher Mad Dog Russo on High Heat on the MLB Network. Um, who I've obviously heard of Alana Rizzo before. And then of course, I don't know if the pregame the pregame host counts as any sort of history, but if it does, so be it. You had the pregame, you had uh Lauren Gardner, uh and uh Heidi Watney do the uh were the uh pregame MC were the pregame MCs thirty minutes prior to first pitch. They of course, ironically enough, uh are the uh are do the uh the hosting dude, and why am I having problems speaking English? I mean, I, my goodness gracious, Lauren Garner and Honey Watney, of course, host uh, host Quick Pitch on uh, MLB Network, the sixty minute uh, recap show that airs late at night and through all hours in the morning. They hosted the, they uh, took care of the, they took care of the pregame, um, first all women broadcast team MLB history. Um, uh, no, I have no complaints about the broadcast uh, at all. Now I had no complaints about the broadcast at all. Now to be fair, and it's not a not a knock against them. It's just that you know when the pre when the pregame started, when the pregame when they had the little thirty minute uh, preamble prior to the game started, I had the sound off because I had my headphones in. I was working out, and I did not hear the game until I want to say the third or the fourth inning when I fin when I fit when I uh, got off the treadmill because I. I worked out, got on the treadmill, ran for about three and a half miles on the treadmill, um, and I still had the headphones in, and I did not actually physically start to hear the broadcast until about the third or the fourth inning. Around somewhere around somewhere around eight o'clock is when I is when I is when I stopped working out and I actually heard the broadcast. No complaints, Millie Newman, who I heard on the radio. I, the, I heard on the radio do play by play for the first time when the Orioles played the Yankees in early April. Um, their second, their second uh, team that the that the Orioles played of the season did a phenomenal job behind the microphone doing the play by play, uh, doing the play by play on the radio. Did a phenomenal job doing the play by play on TV. Not a lot of not a lot of people, not a lot of people in general, you know, can uh, that do play, that do radio and television can do them. Uh, can do them both. Can do them both equally well because there's a difference between. Doing uh doing a broadcast on radio versus television, radio you got you have to be a little bit more uh descriptive because of because radio was theater of the mind. People are listening to the game, so if they're listening to it more times than not, they they're not seeing what's what's actually going on on the field. So you have to be a little bit uh you have to look you have to be a little bit more descriptive when you broadcast the game on radio compared to when you broadcast on television because television. You you know you of course you have to provide the play by play, but you don't have to essentially 
be so descriptive again and give every little detail because if you're watching on television the the viewer watching at home can clearly see you know what's going on so you don't have so you don't have to for instance you know let's say for example uh the 011 pitch to Cedric the 011 pitch to Cedric Mullins is if you were broadcasting on TV you'd say 011 pitch to Cedric Mullins is hit it's hit up the it's hit up the middle and into center field for a one out base hit or, but if you're saying it on radio, you'd go the pitch to Cedric Mullins is hit up the middle in between the in between the legs of uh, I forget the starter's name for Tampa, but I'll just say because I know him off the top of my head, is hit up the middle in between the legs of Tyler Glass now past the reach of uh, of uh, fr- of uh, of uh, Franco the shortstop. He wasn't playing shortstop, just using it as an example, and through the outstretched glove of Franco the shortstop. And uh, Kevin Kiermaier will get it in center field together, uh, together center field, throw it in, uh, throw it in. It's a one out single for center. So you have to be a little bit more descriptive when you're on radio compared to when you're on television. And the great broadcaster, the Vince, the Vince Scullys of the world, were uh, the Vince Scully was good at it, good at TV and good at radio. I believe Jack Buck did radio and television too. All time great. He knows how to do it well. He doesn't do this sport, but Kevin Har- but Kevin Harlan in football with the with football, he's phenomenal on the radio on Westwood One when he does uh, when he does uh, when he broadcasts football on Monday nights in the Super Bowl for Westwood One, and he does a phenomenal job when he does when he broadcasts football on television for CBS. So those three guys off the top of my head do a phenomenal job. When they brought when they do radio and TV broadcasts of the same sport, Melanie Newman, Melanie Newman also does a, a great job of doing doing baseball for radio and on television. Give her her props as well. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, uh, no complaints out of the broadcast. No complaints. I understand people said that uh, people gave in their two cents on social media about you know four out of the five women that were there: uh, Gardner, uh, Gardner, Watney, Newman, uh, Sarah Langs. Four out of the five of them. The fifth one being Rizzo. Rizzo is Hispanic. She isn't white. Uh, but four out of five of them being white. And it's a fair comp- if you if you called into my show and you said that I'd let you know I'd be it's it's just a fair statement because you know you're making history. Four out of the five of them are are of Caucasian descent. Caucasian women, of course, you know, just like with Caucasian men, are the dominant are the dominant race of the dominant group of people in this country over over the Latino woman, the black woman era. So it'd be a fair com- it'd, it'd be a it. It'd be a, no different than it being four out four out of the five people in the broadcast crew being white men, and the fifth one being you know, and the fifth one being a La, being a Latino guy. So it, it's it's a it's a it's a fair statement in my eyes. It's a fair it's it's a fair statement and a fair gripe. But still, if you're I get, but still if you're watching game thirty twenty. Uh, 50, 40, 60 years ago, you're not seeing you're not seeing a uh, a major league baseball broadcast on a national audience no less, uh, on nationally televised audience no less 
with uh, with the reporter, the play-by-play guy, the color commentator, and even the people doing the pregame stuff in the studio being all women. Which that which still I understand the gripe and I understand the complaint. And it's a fair argument, but still you wouldn't in in nineteen seventy one you wouldn't see every single member of the on air uh, broadcasting crew a woman, whether they be black, white, whatever the case might be. You just wouldn't see it, and that in and of itself is a positive change that humanity. Uh, needs to uh, needs to um, uh, celebrate. Um, as far as, as far as the actual game is concerned, um, and I, another thing, Mike and EOC, I know you're listening, Mike. I don't need you to, uh, and I love you, and you're a great guy, phenomenal, uh, you know, great guy, uh, an absolute mensch, uh, a word that you like to use a lot, and I appreciate your support of listening to this show and everything else. But Mike, I don't need you tagging me on Twitter. Uh, let, reminding me of the game's significance. It's the first, uh, it's the first uh, all-female MLB broadcast in the history of the sport. Mike, okay, I, I'm aware of that. I've been, I've been on Twitter all, af- I've been on Twitter all game long. You know, if I, if I don't tweet during, if I don't live tweet during an Orioles game, it's not because of the fact that I forget there's an Orioles game on. I know that there's an Orioles game on, and I chose not to watch it, so therefore I'm not tweeting it. Um, not live tweeting during not live tweeting during the game. And if you would have saw my feed, I was live tweeting up until about nine o'clock. Uh, up until about nine o'clock when when uh, when game six tipped off. So I was aware of the game. I knew the game was on. I knew who the Orioles were playing. I knew the first pitch of the game, and I knew about two and a half weeks in advance that the game was going to be on YouTube and that it was going to be in all, and in that the entire broadcasting crew, the studio crew, and the, and the people that were doing the game were all going to be women. Uh, so I was aware of that, Mike. You don't need me. You don't need to tag me on. I mean, I'm a diehard Oil fan. I mean. If I don't watch every game, I'm aware of every game. I'm aware of every game that they play, especially up at, at the minimal up up until uh, the foot. If the team stinks, up until uh, the football season starts, I know that the Orioles were playing the Rays and it was going to be on YouTube. I believe I was on top of it. Please, the Orioles social media was tweeting about it. I tweeted about it about two weeks ago when it was announced that 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 broad was going to get the Orioles rate that the Orioles raised game was going to be the game. So I was aware of that, Mike. So you don't need to, you don't you don't need to tag me on any tweets flooding up my feed. Let me know. Oh, hey, by the way, you know the Orioles and Rays game is going to be broadcasted by the first all women broadcasting crew in the history of the sport. Thanks, Mike. I it, it, it's it's seven forty five at night. I, I I I'm 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 well aware. Of the uh, of the circumstances and and the historical significance of the broadcast, uh, uh, pal. Thank you. Um, but getting to the game itself, uh, John Meads, who started the game for my Orioles, was rusty. I'm not going to give him a I I'm not going to give him a hard time. Give him the benefit of the doubt. It was his first start, and it was his first start in over a month since early June. I give him the benefit of the doubt. Wasn't terrible, but he surely wasn't his best, and he won flawless. Pitched five, in, pitched five innings, gave up seven hits, gave up five runs, uh, and two and two out of the five runs he gave up were home runs. Were home runs in the game? You know, it was frustrating. You know, John Means Day, the return of John Means on the nationally YouTube audience. We would have loved them for him to pitch well. Seven innings of. Uh, of uh, of uh, of uh, one run, a three hit baseball. You would have loved 
like uh, like the previous Orioles starters, Matt Harvey, shocking as all hell. He perform he actually made it out of the fifth inning and went six innings of giving up uh, less than five runs in in in, in three innings of work. Uh, he shocked the the, the behemoth out of me uh, on Sunday, in which the Orioles had back to back starts uh, by their uh, by their lackluster starters, for lack of a better word, on uh, on uh, sat on Saturday. On a Saturday and uh, on Saturday and su- no on su- on Saturday and Sunday yeah I had that right on su- on Saturday and Sunday in which they had a lack in which they had uh, lackluster starts or the lackluster starters delivering uh, delivering the goods and uh, perform and performing well for the Orioles this past weekend when they were in Kansas City but you get, I'll give John I give John Means a break you know he did you know I give I give him a break and he also and he also had a starter uh and he also had a starter that pitched well uh Watkins that pitched well on Monday in the opening in the opening game against uh, against Tampa on Monday but you give I'll give Means a break he didn't pitch real well uh, in his rehab starts. His ERA was like over five in the three rehab starts he made down in the minor leagues. Give him a break. Tampa, Tampa, and you know, they're not the best hitting team in the American League, but they're but they were in the top. But they're a part of the top of the American League Eastern Division standings, defending American League champions, trying to make a World Series run for a reason. It's not by pure happenstance. So you come a little bit of a break. His first really bad start that I can remember that he's had that wasn't affected by injury that he's had all season long. He still is by by he still is by by a landslide. The rotation's a best starter that they have. Um, so you give you give him a little bit of a break. You cut him a break. Uh, so you you cut him. So you cut him a break. You know, John Means one great, but ah, coming off the IL, rusty. I I tweeted it out during the game that he was that you know John Means prior to um prior to last night and what I've noticed from his starts is that he pitches to he pitches when he pitches he pitches to get a lot of swing and miss to get the to get the hitters to swing and miss a whole hell of a lot on uh, Tuesday night that wasn't the case you notice that he was pitching the contact a lot more than he was pitching to uh to swing and miss. Which is why, if you look at his stat line, uh, which is why, if you look at his stat line, he didn't walk anybody. But on the flip side, he gave up seven hits and two home runs. Uh, so he definitely was uh, was getting tagged, and the ball was getting hit hella hard all over the all over Tropicana Field uh, on Tuesday night. Which uh, you know it happens. Rusty trying to shake out the kinks. His first starting over a month. Not to mention, uh, you know, he has to deal with uh, with the with the league's substance stuff. The sunscreen and rising you couldn't use. Uh, who knows if he was using any of that? It, but it's his first start having to deal with the new uh, league protocol for pitchers. So maybe if that has something to do with it, who knows? But anyway, that's not a here nor there. Uh, the Orioles did not. Uh, the Orioles with uh, runners in scoring position, they hit. They were one for eleven with runners in scoring position, left eight guys on base, which was a which was a huge huge killer. They had run. They had the bases loaded early on. Cedric Mullins struck out of the ball up around his neck. Didn't help matters. They failed to capitalize. They had runners on base in the first inning. Could have did a lot more damage in the top of the second inning when he only could score one run. 
Left again. Left uh, eight guy. Left eight guys on base. One of eleven hitting wise with runners in scoring position. Very very pathetic effort from a team that was hitting the cover off of the ball in Kansas City. Um, hitting the ball for Kansas City and in Game One, Monday night against Tampa. Um, uh, they didn't, you know, they didn't score early and they, and they didn't score first, which is something that during the little three, the Orioles, they, I think I'm not, I'm not positive, but I'm pretty confident. This is off the top of my head that the Orioles have not, that the longest win streak that the Orioles have had this season is three. They have not, well, they have failed to win four games in a row. So with, so either they either sweep a team and the game and game one of, of the series that they play uh, game one of their, of uh, of the following series, they either lose or whatever the case might be, they win three and they and they for whatever the reason can't win that fourth game can't win that fourth game in a row, and the trend that was in their eight four win against Kansas City on Saturday, five nothing win against Kansas City on Sunday, and six one victory against Tampa on Monday night is that they were able to score first and strike first blood. Uh, which has been a theme in many of the Orioles' victories this season. Not all of them, but many of Orioles' victories in the season is being able to f- score first, be able to score early and often, and drive in runners with scoring position. And they failed to do that. Uh, and they failed to do that on Tuesday night. And they also did not capitalize off of the many a defensive miscues that the Rays had on Tuesday night. Wild pitches and the fact that the that the Rays committed four errors four errors in the game and somehow some way the Rays ended up winning by six runs or more. And I'll tell you why specifically they won they won by six runs or more is the fact that Brandon Hyde stinks and cannot manage a bullpen uh, if his life depended on it. Can you explain to me when the Orioles, who like I said, struggled hitting with runners in scoring position they they get the lead. They Tampa has the lead. Five, has the lead. Um, five to one heading into the top of the eighth inning. The Orioles finally score some runs for the first time since the second inning of the ball game. They score two runs to get to get the Tampa lead down to two. It's now five three. It's now five three Tampa. Valdez comes in and pitches the sixth. And pitches the seventh inning. Cesar Valdez, the failed closer, who I've been screaming about all season long, comes comes in comes in out of the bullpen. Pitches two pitches two innings of no hit baseball. Pit, get two innings, no hits, no hits, no runs, one strikeout. Two innings of no of 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 of, of essentially immaculate baseball. No walks, no nothing. In two innings of immaculate baseball. Pitches the six and goes through the sixth and seventh inning unscathed, which is what you wanted him to do to allow the Orioles to to not come back, but to make the game close in the top of the eighth inning. They score two runs to get it five to three, and Brandon Hyde runs to his awful godforsaken bullpen and and gets Sean Anderson. Who? What? Yes, Sean Anderson, who in, who prior to his appearance in which he spit the bit and urinated all over himself in front of the entire interwebs on YouTube, and 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 six in the six previous uh, pitching appearances, he has an ERA of eight point seven six, opponent batting average of three thirty three, and twelve and a third innings pitched. Six in six games he's appeared in and has given up twenty hits, and his strikeout to walk ratio is 13 to 7 with a whip of 2.19 and Brandon Hyde runs to Sean Anderson who proceeds to vomit 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 puke defecate 
urinates all over himself, and in one inning of work, gives up three hits, four runs, three of them earned, and walks the batter. I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, Brandon Hyde? You took out Cesar Valdez, who the majority of the season has been pathetic in high-pressure situations, a broken clock strikes right twice a day. Eventually, the blind squirrel finds the nut. He's the blind squirrel, goes through two innings of perfect of perfect no-hit baseball. You pull him out after your offense finally capitalizes for once in their sorry lives in this game with with uh, with hitting it with runners in scoring position. They get the Tampa lead down to two. You finally build up some momentum in the latter innings of this of this ball game. You get you know the, the Tampa had been have been using their bullpen left and right. Tampa went to their bullpen one, two, three, four times in this game compared to you. That only went to your bullpen once. You you settled the Tampa Bay bats down up and up until that point in the bottom of the eighth inning. You you know you capitalize. You capitalize offensively in the top of the eighth inning. You have some momentum going. Brandon Hyde goes to his runs to his god awful pathetic. It goes to show you that he and a lot of other these managers have zero feel and have zero clue of a game and how to manage a bullpen and have zero in game awareness. Runs to his god awful bullpen. Pulls Valdez out for what pulls Valdez out for whatever the reason. Could even allow Valdez to start the top of the eighth inning to allow him to, to even see the top of the eighth inning he pulls him out after two innings pitch and goes to freaking Sean Anderson with a coming in with an 8.76 ERA with opponent batting average of 333 who's given up 20 hits and 12 and a third innings pitched already this season I mean are you kidding me Brandon are you kidding me wake up and smell the coffee pay attention my goodness gracious, get a clue, Brandon, will you please? I mean, it, it just goes to show that, the, that these, and I, don't, and I don't care about a reliever going pitching three-plus innings and the time studio order and the stupid analytics, and analytics to hell with them. Get them out. You had an opportunity to suck. You had an opportunity, and a momentum was building for you to make a late inning, a, a late innings comeback. And you pissed it away running to running to Sean Anderson who stinks. I mean, really, Brandon? Really? I mean, I mean, you gotta be kidding me. It's just oh and I understand that if that if the Orioles would have capitalized when they had runners on second and third and first and second and the bases loaded with Mullins up, I understand that if they would have capitalized it while Means was still pitching earlier in the ball game, that they that they wouldn't have to play from a deficit. I get all that, but still, you you, you can't cry over spilled milk. What in God's name is a is a pitcher with an ERA of with overs eight and a half? Damn near at nine with an opponent batting average of 333. What is he doing in the eighth inning of a game in which you just came back to put to to to, to, to narrow the race deficit down to two? What are we doing, Brandon, when Cesar Valdez went through two innings of no hit baseball out of the bullpen? What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? Makes make, makes no literal sense whatsoever. 
And lastly, you know, how about Major League Baseball? Bear, only Major League Baseball can, can cannibalize their own product. How about Major League Baseball, who had a history-making broadcast, all with, with being the first all-women's broadcast in the history of the sport? Baseball's been around for 151, 152 years. First all-women's broadcast, and Major League Baseball buries it on a Tuesday night up against Game 6 of the NBA Finals on YouTube. I mean, are you kidding me? That game got 611,948 views on YouTube. Got buried against Game 6 of the NBA Finals. Buried. I understand that they didn't start at the same time, but when the game, when when Sean Anderson was getting tagged left and right and was getting hit all over the ballpark in Tropicana Field down at St. Petersburg, we were in the we were in the uh we were in the we were in the opening quarter of game six between Giannis and Chris Paul at the Pfizer Forum. And they put a history making broadcast in which you had plenty of juice and plenty of buzz. With uh, with the ladies, with Watney and everybody else being on the Today Show, NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt the days prior to the game, interviewing on interviewed on CNBC. They had a little uh, spot on CN on CNN. They got a little bit of attention on Sports Center last night. Had uh, I understand it was after the game, but had all but had all the had all the buzz as far as the media as far as within the media outside of the sport. And yet, within the sports world, they got they were they were dead and they were buried, buried, because they went up against Game Six of the NBA Finals and got six hundred six hundred eleven thousand nine hundred forty one views on the Dopey YouTube channel. I mean, are you kidding me? And they also did uh, and also did the gorgeous Heidi Wadi and company no favors by giving them a garbage matchup to showcase. Garbage. I mean, the matchup was so bad that, and it was like that. It's a bad thing, but you know, in a game, you never want the broadcaster to upstage or to overshadow the game itself. And because the matchup was so bad and generated so little juice nationally, is that the history aspect of the game? did overshadow the two teams participating in the game. Because it did. You picked a garbage team in the cellar of the AL East and the Baltimore Orioles, where unless you're an Oriole diehard, you know, who's watching Orioles baseball in the middle of July? Yes, I understand that John Means, who pitched a no-hitter on May 5th, is making his return off the I.L. Yes, I understand that that a short week ago, Trey Mancini was about a home run or two away from winning the home run derby uh, during All-Star Week in Denver uh, a- after just battling uh, colon cancer. I understand that. And yes, a short week ago, Cedric Mullins was the starting center fielder for the American League All-Star team in Denver during the All-Star game. I get that. I understand all that. But the Baltimore Orioles of 2021 are not generating 
are not generating national buzz as a team. Maybe a couple of individuals on that team, but as a team, nobody in America gives a crap about the 2021 Baltimore Orioles. And the fact that you, that you pick the matchup in which they're playing a team that has no national buzz, hell, no local buzz within the city of Tampa and the Tampa Bay Rays who might be out of there in less than five years with no superstars. And again, unless you're a baseball enthusiast or you work in and around the sport for a living like those ladies are, you can't pick anyone out of the Tampa Bay Rays roster, 2021 Tampa Bay Rays roster out of a lineup. Unless you are either a diehard Rays fan or a baseball enthusiast, You've you don't you've never heard of Kevin Kiermeyer or Randy or Rosarena. Unless you watch the World Series, you never heard of them. So the Rays who have who generate no national buzz, generate no local buzz within the city that they play in, lack any big time marketable superstars on this team up against uh, up against uh, up against the Baltimore Orioles, a team that isn't nowhere near sniffing the postseason. And you buried that game up against Game Six of the NBA Finals, where where the Milwaukee Bucks heading into last night had a chance to do what no team fifty years ago had a chance to do, and that's win the franchise's first championship in a half a century. And here you have this history-making moment that's going to go down in the record books. That's getting all this attention from the news media, not the sports media, but the news media on the outside. It's getting all this attention of the first all-women's broadcast in the history of the sport, and yet you bury it against Game 6 of the NBA Finals because the game, st- because the two- because the game stinks, because the game stinks, and you put it up against Game 6 of the NBA Finals, and, get, and, you, and you buried it on YouTube, and which, and which you couldn't even sniff a quarter of a million viewers on the freaking dopey platform. You barely scratched a half a million. Freaking James Charles gets more views than that Rays-Orioles game got on Tuesday night. I mean, and, and it wasn't like that they had any alternatives. They couldn't. I understand it would have been later in the evening. I understand that if you wanted to have it on Tuesday night, nobody would have cared the first, you know, hour of the game because everyone would have still been wrapped up in the in the in the Bucks celebration. But the but the Giants Dodgers has major juice. Those are the two best teams in the National League trying to compete for a postseason spot. One of the oldest and best rivalries uh, within the sport. Giants Dodgers. You could have given them Giants Dodgers. Giants Dodgers, World Series champion. Giants have a couple of recognizable names on it, and the, and the Dodgers have a few have have superstars on on the team, and and they're the defend and they're the defending MLB champions. Could have went Giants. I understand later in the day could have went Giants Dodgers could or or could have went Phillies and Yankees. Phillies uh, in the Philadelphia market. You have Gregorius and uh, and Girardi making their uh, Bronx and making their Bronx return as the for the first time outside of Yankee pinstripes in front of fans. And you got and you have a recognizable superstar and a, and 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 a and a big name guy in Bryce Harper that you can that you can promote down the fans' throat. And then on the Yankee side, you have Stanton and a big old Yankee brand, and the fact that it's the New York freaking Yankees. 
and as an added as and as an added bonus, you could have had you could have have had excuse me Susan Waldman, who is a who is a pioneer when it comes to women in the sports casting industry. She could have been a part of the broadcast. You could have had her and Melanie Newman do the game with Rizzo or with Rizzo doing the sideline work. You could have had that because Watney Gardner, the uh, the other girl. Uh, Newman and Rizzo aren't there to make that history if it wasn't for the ones that came before them. And now, to, and to be fair, they did give give them and the Hannah Storms and the Andrea Kramers of the world their due during the broadcast. They so give them the due for that. But but they recognize that they wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the women that came before them in the '90s and in the '80s and even back in the '70s with Phyllis with uh, Phyllis George and those women that came before them in the sports casting industry. You could you and you could have had that, and you could have had like a nice symbolic moment that because of for the Susan Waldmans, the Melanie Newmans exist, the Alana Rizzo's exist, the Hottie Watneys exist. You could have had that, but no Major League Baseball trying to cannibalize themselves and and ruin and sabotage their sport like they always do uh, to that like they always do uh, perfectly. You didn't get that, and you gave them a garbage game to boot up against. An NBA Finals game, which which is a joke. I mean, I mean, you can't make it up if you're Major League Baseball. You, you I mean, you, you you can't make it up. And then, and then, and then they wonder why nobody watches and why nobody cares. You sabotage your sport. I mean, out of all nights. All nights you could you could have chosen to have this broadcast. You could have had you could have you could have had this game. You you could even if you wanted to do Orioles and Rays. Orioles and Rays going to play each other quite a quite a few amount of times before the season ends. Next time the Orioles play the Rays, if you want to do it in Tampa, all, the week of August the sixteenth. You want to do it when they when they play in Baltimore? It's it's two weeks from now. The first weekend in August, August 6th, 7th, and 8th, when the Rays come to Baltimore. You, I mean, you could have did that. You could have did Dodgers, Giants, could have did Phillies and Yankees. But if you were hell-bent on doing Orioles and Rays, you could have picked any other nights in which baseball is the only out of the four North American team sports that's on the docket that has a schedule all to themselves. You could have picked any time in the month of August or any time earlier in the season. And, and, you could, and if you wanted to do Rays and Orioles that badly. Or you could have did it Monday night. There was nothing else on Monday night. You could have did it Monday night. Now Major Baseball will put the game... We'll, we'll, we'll stick the history-making broadcast and the history-making game on up against Game 6 of the NBA Finals. I mean, you, you just can't make this stuff up. And to make it worse... We'll put it. We'll put it on YouTube, so we, so we so we can get the so we can get the extra ad revenue and the revenue money and the sponsorship money from YouTube, where near where a little bit more than half a little bit more than half a million people are able to watch it instead of instead of on television via the MLB Network or FS1 or ESPN or anything along those lines. I mean, only only baseball cannibalizes and ruins its own product. O only them. Back after this. So we wrap up the show in this episode of the MTK TIS Podcast. I'll save the Olympics talk for Saturday. I've talked enough long segments with the baseball and the NBA finals. So I'll I've talked enough plus, you know, 
my voice, you know, it's ugh, to give myself a break. And plus, you know, with no NBA, no game seven, I got to find something out. I, I, I can't scream yell about the Orioles every single time I hop on here. So I'll save the Olympic talk for uh, for next for for Saturday. But uh, but anyway, that is your show on this midweek program in the middle of the month of July. If you're new to the program and you like what you heard, please subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the JShield. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatel underscore podcast and the show on Twitter at Amatel underscore it. Is. It is your boy, Josh Shields. I will talk to you on Saturday. Y'all stay safe. Take care. Get vaccinated if you haven't already. Talk to you then.